This is Chicago's College Tailgate. Tailgate. Shay Norman and Tyler Atkins. Shay and Tyler on ESPN Chicago. Welcome in to Chicago's College Tailgate, the Monday recap podcast with you here on the ESPN Chicago app or wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, download all that good stuff. Shay Norling and Tyler Rocky, we break down the week of college football every single Monday for you right here on the ESPN Chicago app. It's all brought to you by Twin Peaks. And the week of the year has come and gone. We still have a couple others that when we get to them, We'll call them the week of the year, and they very well might be the weeks of the year with the way that we see everything sort of play itself out over the course of these next couple of weeks. But, boy, did that week deliver. Week four was awesome in college football. We had down goes Dion. We had a thriller on NBC's Game of the Week. We had a great battle in the SEC. There was a ton of stuff, a great battle in the ACC as well. So we'll get to all of that. But, Shay, I think we start with... Ohio State and Notre Dame, this was the highest-rated matchup in terms of teams. You had number six, Ohio State, number nine, Notre Dame. Ohio State squeaks by by the skin of a 10-men on the field on the other side uh, for Notre Dame. But they squeak by, and it was an impressive win, but it's a win that I don't think told us a whole heck of a lot about either team. I think the only thing you can glean from that game is that Ohio State's defense is game wreckers. They're Game awesome. wreckers everywhere. They're awesome. I had a friend text me after the game and say, hey, he's a Michigan fan, and he says, I'm not impressed by Ohio State. That entire game, I thought that they were mid. And my response was just, the offense might be bad, but that defense is fucking ferocious. That, mm-hmm. that defense, like Penn State maybe be, is a little bit on notice in the Big Ten, I thought they had maybe the best defense in the country. I still think that might be true because, boy, what did Iowa get? Two first downs in Happy Valley? They I, showed, like, the plays. Didn't didn't Penn State run, like, 40 more plays than, yeah. than Iowa in that game? By the way, sidebar, Brian Ferentz, dig your own grave, pal. Good night. <laughs> Enough. Like, uh, that's it for you. You're not averaging 24 now after a goose egg in Happy Valley. Uh, but I think Ohio State may have put Penn State's defense on notice in the Big Ten. That unit is Awesome. Uh, the other two things that I learned from this game, Ryan Day is a fucking idiot. What are we doing running a jet sweep on fourth and one yep. in the red zone? Like, that was the dumbest fourth down call I've ever seen. And How it, many naggy tweets did you see on your timeline? A ton. Yep. And that thing never had a chance. I mean, as soon as that snap happens and you see Kyle McCord turn to drop back a little bit, you're going, oh, no. If that's anything other than a sneak, you're an idiot. And then we learned Marcus Freeman is a fucking idiot because he's leaving room for Jesus in the end zone on the final play of the game. What the hell was that? It was, I mean, to go back to your, your sneak comment too, and on the, the fourth and inches there, we've been given the template for the freest yard in football, and yet teams decide to take a blind eye to it Every single time. It's unreal. They try to reinvent the wheel. Get your fullback. Get your running back. Put him behind your quarterback in a victory formation and shove the guy a yard. Hell, t- take a backup defensive tackle. Some guy who you're not going to cash in your, your four games of red shirt. Put him back there and tell him to push. It's the freest yard in football. 
and people neglect it time and time again. It drives me insane in the NFL. It drives me insane in college. I don't understand how we turn a blind eye to the easiest path forward. It is literally Occam's razor. Sometimes the simplest answer is the correct one. Push your fucking quarterback. It's not hard. It makes no sense. You've got Ohio State, I think, two empty red zone trips. Went for it on fourth and goal once in the first half. Went for it, obviously, fourth and a yard Mm -hmm. there. Two empty red zone trips for Ohio State. McCord looked rough, but then you get bailed out. One, dropped interception on the final drive. Mm -hmm. Two, the dumbest two plays in Notre Dame history, possibly. Ten men on the field in the end zone, leaving room for the Holy Spirit. Insanity. I haven't seen anything like that. I I haven't either. I don't get how you can be. And listen, I thought Notre Dame looked pretty. Like, if Notre Dame wins that game and Ohio State doesn't have the drive at the end, if Notre Dame wins that game, I think we come away feeling pretty solid about Notre Dame. Yeah. There's still some lingering questions with them, and I'm not by any stretch of the imagination in the the broad picture of things characterizing this as a bad loss. But you should have won the football game. You gave it away. And whether it's a bad loss or not, here's the dirty little secret. You don't play in a conference and you get no conference title game, so your season's over. Congratulations. You'll have 10 men in the end zone, and now you can kiss your playoff chances goodbye. Oh, and here's another gift. Go to Durham for game day and the first time in history at Duke. Riley Leonard and Mike Elko coming for your head. Yeah. I, Dude, I have a feeling like Notre Dame, they played well. Ohio State, outside of the one chunk play for Travion Henderson, could not run the ball. And Kyle McCord looked terrible, struggling against that back seven, struggling to find receivers outside of Emeka Ebuka, who, my God, what a player. But They've got two. Uh, I just, for Notre Dame, you now got to get back from that heartbreaker, go on the road knowing your season and your goals are dead, and you got to play a Duke team that's playing for an ACC title. I, the wheels might come off in South Bend. I think on the Ohio State side, the the thing with Kyle McCord is I don't think either of us expected him to go into that game and succeed and like play well. I don't think either of us expected that. Big-time environment. It's his first really big start yeah. as a college football player. I don't think you or I expected him to go out and light the world on fire, but you got to play better than that. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing about that game is have it might be one of the most entertaining defensive showdowns I've watched in college yeah. football. Mm-hmm. That was too, like, legit. I'm not going to say all NFL defenses, but those that felt like an NFL game, the way that those guys were hitting, the way that they were playing defensively. Well, that's what it was. Like, that game didn't have points scored because there were so many NFL players on the field. Yeah. Like, there were too many NFL players yeah. on the field where it didn't feel like a college game. It felt so high level. In Clemson, Florida State felt similar, but not quite at this level of execution, mm-hmm. where both defenses were just mastermind game plans, perfect execution, guys flying around the field, deflecting passes. That was awesome to watch. I had a great time watching the game. It's just leaving 10 men out there at the end. Like the ending, it doesn't sour it because it was so thrilling in real time. It just makes you think, Marcus Freeman, you're an idiot. Yeah. For a guy who had started to accumulate a lot of goodwill yep. in that program, like it started off rocky with the two losses last year, and you thought, boy, is this guy going to see the end of the season? And the loss to Marshall. And, and then he goes out, finishes the year strong last year, 
He goes out, has a great start to the year this year. I know they played nobodies plus NC State, but you still have to to tip your hat to what he had done for the first four games of the season. But now as we we are have four weeks in the books, five weeks for Notre Dame actually, like you could you can't lose those types of games when you don't play in a conference, you don't have the luxury of the your week thirteen matchup meaning anything. Yeah. Like you can't sit out the final week of the year and expect things to fall into your lap when you don't go undefeated. And that's kind of what they're looking at right now. Like they've got the tough game against Duke. They're probably not going to beat USC. I mean, it's going to be well. The game is at home. I don't know USC. They're running a whorehouse in the opposing end zone. Everybody's <laughs> scoring. Yeah, I, that, uh, like, you, you give up twenty eight to Arizona State. They mm-hmm. got blanked by Fresno, and you let up twenty eight. We'll discuss USC because I think there's a lot of things that you can glean from a lot of top 10 teams uh, right now. But uh, last thing on on Ohio State and Notre Dame. Oh, boy. Tough morning to be Lou Holtz on Sunday. Holy hell. The drive-by from Ryan Day. I was surprised at the social media reaction. A lot of people thought it was over the top or like a soft or a weird stray bullet from Ryan Day. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was hilarious. I was laughing my ass off during it. If there's one way to motivate players, it's doing shit like that. That that was fantastic. And I'm not really a Ryan Day guy, but I bought back in late in that game because coming out of that and just going right to the microphone to say what Lou Holtz said about our team, I can't even believe. Like, that's amazing. And that's how you fire up a team when you go, here's what the media is saying about you. Here's what they're saying nationally. Go prove them wrong. That defense was, say what you want about the offense and the idiotic play calling on the fourth and short, but that defense was nails. And they mm-hmm. played physical football. Yeah. I, I loved what I saw. I have a question about Ohio State. With regards to the Big Ten, do you upgrade them off of this win or is this just kind of a net no. net? The, the only thing that I took away from this entire game was that Ohio State's playoff chances are still alive. That's the only thing I, I took away yeah, from you, this game. Your life's they, in they, front you of you. saved your season. Just take care of business. you got to beat Penn State. you got to beat Michigan. And then you got to win the Big Ten title. You will win the Big Ten title yes, if you, you beat Michigan yeah. and you beat Penn State. I just don't know if this team's good enough to beat both Michigan and Penn State. Like, offensively... It's a shame because hopefully, I guess your saving grace is you have a little bit of time now for the quarterback to come along. And hopefully by the time you do face Penn State, things will be sped up for him and he'll be playing at the the caliber that you brought him in to be. What do we think of Penn State? Are they a little bit of a wagon? Not in the sense, like there's another team in the Pac-12 I want to discuss with you in a little bit that is a wagon. Mm -hmm. But... Penn State, offensively, some struggles. Haven't seen a ton of greatness out of Drew Aller, but we know they have the great running backs. Nick Singleton leads the way. James Franklin, head coach, maybe you have some questions, but that defense, man, that defense is, that's an NFL defense. I think they're very similar to Ohio State in terms of elite defense. Quarterback's not quite there. The difference, though, is I think it can get there with with Drew Aller, I don't think it's going to get there this season with, with Kyle, Kyle McCord. I have more like I've seen some things early on in the season. Obviously, the physical tools that that Drew Aller has are, I mean, they they are NFL caliber stuff. We're just now we need to see the execution come into play. Now, Penn State doesn't have the same level of weapons, 
on the perimeter that Ohio State has. But I do think that when you're trying to see who could pop between the two, I'm more I'm more likely to see it from Penn State because of the quarterback. Penn State does have to go to the shoe in three weeks. Mark your calendars. October 21st, Penn State's got to go to the shoe to play the Buckeyes. And then you get Michigan at Penn State, which has been a bit of a house of horrors for Jim Harbaugh in the past. That's always – they've squeaked some wins out, but there's the – the whiteout game where I think it was Wilton Spate took the delay a game or they had to burn a timeout on the opening play yeah. because it was so loud. Um, it just, that's an interesting one. To me, Penn State, we'll get into this a little bit, but Penn State to me is the best team in the conference right now. Yeah, uh, yeah I would agree with that. I'm going to, and I, this is going to go completely against what we're going to talk about when we get into the top 10. I'm going to leave Ohio State there for now as my placeholder, just let it play out. Okay. Just let it play That's out. Fair. See how it plays out between the round robin of those three teams. Ohio State gets the distinct advantage of playing them in Columbus. Mm-hmm. So that that's fair. But to me, Penn State's been by far the most impressive team in the conference. Most impressive, yes. But however, they don't have the best win of the season in the True. conference. True, that's fair. So, um, All right, let's move on here. Oregon beats the brakes. You look like you're getting ready to, to stand up here. Are you standing up for you this know, segment? I watch the Twitch chat when we do our shows on Saturday. Okay, I pay a little bit of attention. And I saw a couple people say that when well, I op- took receipts. When I opened the show and I said, listen, I know I was wrong on Nebraska, but Colorado's not going to belong on that field. Colorado's going to get their fucking teeth kicked in. This is a level up orders of magnitude from anything that you have seen. You're going to Outson Stadium, and you're going to get absolutely murdered. And I saw people, I'm so sick of the Colorado hate. I'm so sick of the Colorado hate. Why you just got a bag on Colorado? They're fun. You know what? Take your medicine. Colorado ain't all that, man. Colorado, fun story. Dion's doing great work. He's everything I love about the future of college football, a sport that's changing in a way I don't necessarily like. Dion embodies the good parts of it. Wants to bring in kids who can go to the NFL, teach them how to make money, teach them how to grow into adults, help them grow their careers, their brands, and their game. It's awesome. Embracing the transfer portal, embracing the NIL, it's everything I love about modern college football. That being said, this team fucking sucks and we saw it on the field in eugene that was jv versus varsity that was the freshman squad in a scrimmage getting fucking rolled by people who are just infinitely better than them and anybody with a brain saw it coming that was beautiful television and dan lanning you are my goddamn american hero because the pregame speech was fantastic how about that Basically called Colorado a social media program. And the way that, one, he wasn't disrespectful because he's very clear. He loves Dion the same way I do. He has respect for the way he runs a program. He has respect for somebody with that reputation, that level of cool, coming in and doing things differently. But Dan Lanning knew that that line, they play for clicks, we play for wins, Mm -hmm. is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And anybody bagging on it is a loser. That's the way you motivate kids. That's the way you get guys ready to go. We're not going to talk with our phones. We're going to talk with our pads. Let's fucking go. That was absolute fire from Dan Lanning. When they aired that during the game, which, to be honest, I'm a little surprised got out. 
I don't think Dan Lanning loves that getting out. But then I, his halftime speech as well, where he basically says, we're going to keep rolling these motherfuckers in the second half. We're not satisfied. Oh, my God. That was and. Now, in fairness, they didn't really do much in the second half. But to his but, credit, you get on the goal line, and you're up 40-fucking-one, and you run a fourth and goal for a touchdown. He wanted blood. Yes. And again, that's not—he doesn't dislike Dion. They had a great handshake. They have a lot of respect for one another. But Dan Lanning saw what we all saw. That team is bullshit. And the way that it's been covered by Fox—I got to get this off my chest—the way that it's been covered by Fox with Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt going down to the fucking sideline so they can interview Offset and go, what a great experience this must be for the kids. You're running a recruiting pitch for this fucking school, and you don't do that for anyone else in the country. It's just premium treatment, entertainment product, feed the beast, get Dion on a stage, and let's get kids going to Colorado. Do what you gotta do. But Dan Lanning saw the bullshit and he went and kicked their fucking ass. And I loved every second of it. Here's the other part too. And this is why Dan Lanning is a genius in the moment. Because he knew how many people were watching this game. He knew how much pull his university would have for beating, like, he saw this as an opportunity to get the biggest amount of style points possible that we'll probably see all year long. Like, going out and blowing out a team that you knew you were significantly better than, but because of the clout on the other sideline, you took advantage of it. And I tip my hat to that because that was genius coaching, run it up on the team that everyone's been talking about yep. that shouldn't be a top 25 team. Run it up on them. Show America what your program is. And everyone's probably now talking about the Ducks a little bit higher than maybe they should be. I'm not saying they're a bad team. They are a top 10 team. They're a bona fide top 10 team. But people are going to look at this win as being elevated a little bit more than what it should be. We talked about it on Saturday. This was an opportunity because of the media hype. Justin Herbert could go out and announce himself as a or Justin Herbert. Bo holy Nicks. fucking shit. <laughs> Bo Nix could go out and announce himself as a Heisman caliber candidate, a Heisman quarterback. He went out and he played fantastic Best football. Best game of the year. Outside of the interception, he played incredible football. And I look, Dan Lanning knew the deal. You go, you get style points. That line at halftime, I hope everybody that was watching last week is watching this week while he's twirling his finger in the air. That is exactly what Oregon needed to do. I want to get to the Colorado side of this because I'm not just going to sit here and dump on them. You get a spot with USC next week in Boulder, and I think the only way you can bet that game is Colorado. USC's defense is a fucking sieve. It's an absolute embarrassment. You go to Tempe. I, listen, I told you, tough place you to play. You go to Tempe. Tough place to play. They still put up 42 on it. I know. I, but listen, you've got a team in Arizona State that got shut out, bageled by Fresno State. You go to Tempe and you give up 28 and you let that be a game into the fourth quarter. Dude, I have trouble taking USC seriously. I know they have the best quarterback in the country. I know they've got incredible skill position players and an offensive genius in Lincoln Riley pulling the strings. But Alex Grinch is a complete joke. And his continued employment as defensive coordinator, because honest to God, at this point, I think Lincoln Riley's just stubborn and wants to prove he can win with his buddy. This deal with USC, they are not legitimate. That defense is horrible. They're not a playoff team. 
That defense is awful. That and defense is not playing in the Pac-12. When they go to Utah, they're going to get their lights knocked out by one of the best defenses in the country, if not the best defense in the country. When you got to play Oregon, best of luck. If that comes in a Pac-12 title game, even Oregon State, who got trounced at the Palouse by Wazoo, Oregon State can line up a man with uh, with with USC, and USC's defense cannot stop them. I don't care if DJU's playing blindfolded. That look, USC defense, it is not legitimate. Here's the thing. USC is going to get propped up over these next couple of weeks because they're at Colorado. Even though Colorado may be the play betting-wise, USC should win the football game. I, I have no doubt about yeah, that. certainly. Then it's Arizona after that. Then you go at Notre Dame, home against Utah, at Cal, and then versus Washington at Oregon, and then uh, home against UCLA to close out the year. That's not a schedule that sets up very nicely for USC. Did you say at Oregon? At Oregon, penultimate week of the year. God bless. Thanks. It's been a nice run. That'll be all. At Oregon, did you hear how loud that place was yeah. for Colorado? Oh, yeah. And those fans stuck around into the fourth quarter. They weren't giving Colorado any kind of mercy deep into that game when it's a blowout, 41-zip. Those fans are screaming on third down. They got the keys out. I'm like, what the hell yeah. is going on? You're telling me USC's got to make the trip up to Eugene and play at Autzen? That'll be all. Mm-hmm. There's too many, there's too many good defenses that this team is gonna like at Notre Dame versus Utah versus Washington at or there's too many good defenses on that that board there for this team to to make the playoff. While we're on the topic of the Pac-12, should we discuss the team that for my money might be the best in America? Is that the Washington Huskies? It is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> by the way, shifting the odds. By the way, Michael Penix now your favorite for Heisman as he should be, mm-hmm. and uh, I'd start hunting Roma Dunze up the list. I know he's got no shot of winning because of Michael Penix, but he is fantastic. Holy hell, Roma Dunze, you might be a Chicago Bear. I mean, my God, is that kid awesome. They've got the horses on offense, the horses on defense, and the quarterback who might be the best in the country from a college perspective. Like, that's scary. The other thing, like, they're running a bit of an air raid, but it's almost an NFL air raid where you'll see Penix under center a little bit, gets back in the shotgun, just deep routes. You're basically telling your guys to run goes, knowing nobody can cover, and Michael Penix is going to put the ball on a dime. It's his ability to me, and I never really viewed him as a legitimate top-end NFL prospect. I'm there now. This guy has marinated in college football for a very long time, and that makes people nervous because you're getting an older prospect into the NFL but this kid but can just flat-out play. Here's the thing about these older prospects, all right? If they can play the way that quarterbacks are right now, where they can play into their late 30s, maybe yeah. even early 40s, what does it matter? And are you, let it, are you allowing some of the development time that would otherwise happen in the NFL happen in, your in college? Year, yeah. And then you're allowing... Like, Justin Herbert played for a while at Oregon, if I remember right. Played, played an extra year. Remember, he could have come out of yep. the draft, what would that have been, 27 or 18? Yeah, I think so. He could have come out in 2018, maybe even been the number one overall pick. That's then. right, and he went back. And he went back. People, and people thought were he like, was nuts. Yeah. Goes back to school, and then rookie year, day one starter for the Chargers, all he does is go 31-10 and 10 in his rookie season. So 
a little bit of the fear of getting an older kid. Maybe you just get a guy who's ready to play. C.J. Stroud waited at Ohio State. Looks great for Houston. Mm -hmm. He sat and waited, got his one year where he was excellent for the Buckeyes. Now he looks fantastic in Houston. Like, I do think... There's a little bit maybe of, hey, Michael Penix, all that development's already happened. You just plug and play. And here's the thing with Penix. I, I know he's been hurt, and so he's missed time because of injury, but he's played a lot of football. Yeah. Played a lot of football from his time at Indiana and then now at Washington. It's That team to me, I was, I was wondering what was going on with all of the preseason hype because I just kept thinking, when did they turn into Bama? When did we start just going, they've got players and dudes all over the field, but then you watch them play. and every, The games are over at halftime. Every skill every position game. is an NFL player. Every skill position is a guy I want to watch on Sundays. And they, Kalen DeBoer has done a wonderful job building that team up. They might, we'll get into the top 10 and what it really should look like. They might be the number one team in the country for me. Yeah, no, we'll do that in just a little bit here. Um. Let's uh, let, let's go to Clemson, and this was maybe one of the more thrilling games of the day. But Florida State holds on in overtime. Really, their only time leading all game. I mean, Clemson was in control of this game for the first what fifty five, fifty seven <laughs> minutes of the game. They were up ten nothing, and then up seventeen seven. And then all of a sudden, Florida State flips the switch, and they were the aggressors. You saw Clemson play not to lose yep. down the stretch. You saw them kind of cowering out of some fourth down calls where I think when you're the underdog, you go for it, especially at home, go for it. Um, You saw a couple of, I mean, boy, Jonathan White's head back to Ally Financial, pal. Yeah. Like, I thought Sean McDonough did a great job of, like, building up the whole story of what he was. So for those who aren't familiar with it, Jonathan White's was a kicker behind B.T. Potter on this team for four years. But... Never played because B.T. Potter is one of the greatest kickers we've seen yep. at Clemson ever. And they, they found the, they've they had kicking troubles all year long. You look at the first game of the year against Duke, had two kicks blocked. It was a train wreck. And Dabo's thinking, all right, what do I do? And his son says, well, Jonathan Weitz is still taking online classes. He's still technically a student. We could try him out. They brought him in. He was supposed to start a job at Ally Financial this week. He already has an apartment made up in New York City. He's ready to move on to the real world. Dabo gives him a call. He comes back, comes in for a tryout, hits like 7 of 8 field goals or 11 of 12 field goals or whatever it was in the the practice session. They say, all right, you're going to be our kicker this week. He goes out. He makes the extra point on the first touchdown. He makes a a 30-yard field goal. He's one for one in his career. You're feeling good. And then he has to go out and make a pivotal 29-yarder. And just completely wrecks it. Completely wrecks all goodwill that he had yeah. with the Clemson fan base. Yeah, and that ended the game. They, that is the reason Clemson is not back in the top 25 today. That is the reason why, frankly, I want to know what you took out of this on the Clemson side. We'll get to Florida State in a moment. The Clemson side for me was, this is still a top 25 football team. Yes. This mm-hmm. is a team with an excellent defense. Cade Klubnick looks to be progressing into being that guy. Made some big throws. I think it's if Garrett Riley and Dabo Sweeney hadn't trusted him a little bit more in the fourth quarter, we're talking about this completely differently. But there is the other side of the coin, which is you have two conference losses and the calendar has not flipped to October. Mm -hmm. As a program, 
that is absolutely atrocious. Yes. That is like shutter the windows. It's over in Clemson, South Carolina, bad. That you two conference losses, and I thought Alabama was going to join them at, for a time, but Clemson is not a program where you can just accept being dead in the ACC, and it's not even October. Yeah. This is a program where, look, just because you built it up from what it was into being a perennial national title contender doesn't mean you get to stay and burn it down. This thing has to get put back together next offseason in a way that I'm not sure Dabo is willing to embrace. We're going to find that out. It's unfortunate for them because really Saturday probably should have been a win. You're a missed field goal away from a win that would have vaulted you back into the top 25 that would have honestly bolstered the playoff chances a little bit because they could have won the ACC should they win out. I think they might. Like They're they're a good team. It's just your season's over. And I think they have to really take a look in the mirror at how they do things because whatever we think of how well Cade Klubnick played and how well that defense played, the skill positions just lack athletes. Mm-hmm. If you and had athletes on that team, you win running away. And, and the other thing, too, is w- what we were saying on Saturday, too, when we were previewing the game was win in the trenches, run the football, and use those offensive linemen. They were down a guy, too, but they moved Florida State, yeah. a very good defense, and they were moving the ball on the ground, and Will Shipley was having a nice game, but all of a sudden... It just hit a breaking point, and you played conservatively, and you played not to lose in the fourth quarter, and you seemed like, all right, we're just going to trust our defense out there. No, Florida State's a great offense who's got really good players on the perimeter, a really good quarterback, and you just kind of let them run all over you in the second half. Yeah, the other thing, the, the pivotal moment in the game and one of the best plays I've seen really in years, that strip sack on Kate Klubnick. Yeah. I shot out of a cannon into the backfield. I, I'm Cade Klubnick getting up after that and running and the running length to go, of the yeah. field to make mm-hmm. a tackle is amazing. Like props to him because if that happened to me, I would be dust. My body would be I would dust guess, on the turf. I would guess quarterbacks in general are taught if you get hit hard like that and the ball's stay out, down. just stay. Just, you are just do not inflict any more harm on yourself. I was. I saw it live, and I'm like, he must be dead. And then he comes flying out of the corner of the screen to try to make the tackle at the goal line. Just incredible props for his toughness. Mm-hmm. But that play flipped the game. Yeah, that If that never happens, Clemson won. And that, the missed field goal, is just a lack of execution in the end of that game. Let Florida State get that win. For Florida State, now it's all in front of you. Now you're going to be favored in every game the rest of the season. Go out and win an ACC. The playoff is made for you. A national title is made for you. You got through the tough part, and you don't have to face Clemson again. Yep. Go to the playoff. What did we say at the beginning of the season with this Florida State team? Split LSU and Clemson, and you probably find your way in the playoff. You swept it. You swept it, and you're not going to have to face Clemson in an ACC title. Not you're going to get Duke or Syracuse. Yeah. Like, have a good time. The, the thing about... Uh, this Florida State team, too. Neutral site against LSU, road against Clemson, and you swept it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really impressive for them to get through these first few weeks. The Boston College thing, a lot of people want to drop some stuff from that loss. Just keep in mind, it was played in horrible weather, and at a certain point, that game's under wraps. Maybe Florida State just said, let's take our foot off the gas. Mm-hmm. They didn't want it to get as close as it got, certainly, mm-hmm. but they probably were like, let's save some stuff for Clemson. 
this was the more important game to get through this now. Like, I'm not going to overreact to how close Florida State has played these games. You still have an incredible player on the defensive line in Jared Verse. You still have, you know, seven foot wide receivers all over the field Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson. Yep. You still got Jordan Travis, a legitimate Heisman candidate. Like, to me, now it's just time to take care of business. The rest of the schedule sets up very nicely for FSU. They should be in the playoff. If they're not, it's something, something went, went wrong. horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing that I think sucks for Florida State and maybe even the rest of the ACC. Clemson has two losses, but I don't think either loss is as bad or as telling of who Clemson is as a team as the final score may show or the fashion in which Clemson loss may show. That game against Duke to open up the season, a lot of fluky plays mm-hmm. that you just can't account for. They lose three fumbles, a couple seven at the points goal line, five red zone trips, the two blocked, blocked field, field goal. goals. Yeah. Like that doesn't really show like Clemson moved the ball in that game. Um and then this game against Florida State where you just kind of let it slip out of your fingers at the end. I think it's kind of telling of who Clemson is, but it doesn't for a team that now like my team, Syracuse, they play Clemson next week. If Syracuse beats Clemson, it's not going to look like as big of a win as it probably should because yeah. of w- what the record states for well, Clemson. Th- so that's kind of interesting to me now that you bring it up. Do you think Syracuse beats Clemson? Because for Clemson, you've got to recover not only from the heartbreak of blowing that game, it's sort of similar to Notre Dame going to Durham. Your season's over. It's done. Like all of your goals that you set out for when the season started evaporated. It you're going to get some bowl nobody gives a shit about. All of your players are going to opt out of it. Like is this a game where Syracuse, who Garrett Schrader's been playing fantastic, mm-hmm. and you have an ACC title maybe in your future? Do you think they go in and just beat Clemson? So the game is in Syracuse, and the game is going to be one that the fans will show up for. And that place, while it doesn't seat a lot of people, it's a dome. And it gets fucking loud in there. And for some reason that I cannot decipher whatsoever, this team plays Clemson well. They just do. Every year, yeah. Every year, it's close. Last And, like, quite frankly, uh, they only have one win to show for it. They probably should have three. And maybe even four. Um, They play that, that team close, and I think this is the year where they probably get over the hump with it. Best camera angle in college football, by the way. You love it. I was watching that game, and I, I obviously not the first time I've watched Syracuse at the Dome, but I was really watching. It's um, close in the afternoon, and it's such a low angle, and it's so close to the field. You can see sideline to sideline. It's amazing. Well, you I know love what that it is. Booth. It is basically the same angle. If you're watching a Syracuse basketball game versus a football game, you're basically getting the same elevation angle. On yeah. It. Think that's, about that. Like, that's what you're working with there. That's fantastic. It's great stuff there. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that they have a chance to beat Clemson this week. I, I, there is, I think, a seven-point underdog at home. But everything's sort of gone right for Syracuse. Their offensive line's playing better than I thought. Running game would playing better than I thought. Schrader's playing better than I thought. So Garrett Schrader may not be a quarterback, but fuck me, is he fun to watch. <laughs> he, he literally, like, everything you need to know about Garrett Schrader is Mike Leach said, son, you're a wide receiver. <laughs> but he somehow found his way back to the position. And he's become a running back in yes. the year of our Lord 2023. Mm-hmm. He is now a running back. He has truly done it all. Okay. Um, I, any last thoughts on, on Florida State side of this? I think that was a really telling win for what this Florida State group is. 
because they needed that because both you and I said this will be really telling if Florida State goes in there and beats Clemson because it's a weird gambling line. No, Florida State on- being a, a two-point favorite when they have looked like the much more impressive team this year. And I was on the Clemson side, plus As two. As was I. It was 100% the right side. Mm-hmm. I did not trail in that game a single second of regulation. That was kick to end. Clemson plus two was the right side of that bet. It just, the result wasn't good. And mm-hmm. so I, the process is good. The result's not good. And I think for Florida State to go in, being down 17-7 to seven in that second quarter, but battling in the third, tying the game up at 17, and then just continuing to fight, getting defensive plays when you needed them on the scoop and score mm-hmm. to tie the game, going into overtime, and Keon Coleman, holy fuck, what a catch. Yeah. I Like, that That to me is what you're going to need if you want to win a national title. And again, they just knocked off the most difficult part of their schedule. They just won the most important game on their schedule. It is now business. You know what that game was? That game was Clemson-Florida State, but flipped from the last couple of years. Yeah. Because you had one team that had the legitimate weapons on the outside, weapons on the defensive line, weapon at quarterback, and the other team that just had players that were there off of brand name. Yep. That's how the game played out. And you saw the team with the weapons come out on top. Yeah. Because once that game went to overtime, Clemson wasn't winning. Because they were, when you play a game from 25 yards out— and you look at the talent on one side versus the talent on the other, Florida State was always going to win that and game. And it did. It felt like late in the game, too, third, fourth quarter, Florida State really just choked them out. Every time Clemson crossed the 50, things really tightened up. And the second half, things started to really feel like it was all going Florida State's way. Couple big moments. Like I mentioned, that scoop and score. But it just, for me... Florida State, congratulations. Business now. Go take care of business. Yep. All right, let's filter on over to the SEC where Alabama, boy, they put together a second half, didn't they? 24-10, to they beat Ole Miss at home. Jalen Milrow, not great in this game, but I think that's going to be the story of Jalen Milrow all season long. I, I still cannot fathom why he got benched. I still cannot figure it out. Did you hear Saban's reasoning for it? Was we were going to give all three of these guys chances to play, and that was it. So just say they all three stink. <laughs> if one of them were good, you would just play the one. Um, two things I got out of this game. One, we were fucking stupid to go with the public side on Ole Miss in Tuscaloosa and not think about the fact that Saban was not going to lose two straight at home, was not going to let Lane Kiffin bury his program, this was always an Alabama win, and I felt like an idiot for ever being on the other side of it. The other thing, I feel no better about Alabama than I felt going in. This team is not good. This game may be more of a reflection of the conference than anything else. The SEC... How strong do I want to go with this take? It's bad. The SEC is not good. The SEC kind of feels... Big Tennis. You've got Tennessee, one of the most highly touted offseason SEC teams, going to the swamp and getting fucking flattened by Graham Mertz and Billy Napier, two guys who I do not care about at all. You've got this Bama team. Vintage Bama wins this by 40. Mm-hmm. Vintage yeah. Bama blows Ole Miss off the field. They needed some things to go right for them. They needed uh, Jackson Dart to lose his mind and throw the ball directly to a free safety. Like, it just never... Bama felt... 
really flat to me. You've got LSU letting Arkansas come to Death Valley and put them on the ropes as a 17.5-point favorite. I, just the whole conference, Georgia struggling with South Carolina, doing nothing that's really that impressive. Now, oh, great. You gave up 24 to UAB. Excuse me? Like it, it just... The whole conference just feels kind of flat. It's very odd. The SEC has had such a run of dominance, and this year it just they don't feel good. The Pac-12 looks like what the SEC used to, frankly. Mm-hmm. High-flying offenses that great defenses. Yeah, mm-hmm. they've. You're right. Like the the SEC kind of feels like the Big Ten right now, where they should just have a residency in the spots between like 17 through 23 with the exception of maybe one or two teams. But none of the teams are really that good. It's like Iowa They're being, not outside top 25 bad, but they're not top 10 good. It's like Iowa being ranked 24, and you know mm-hmm. you can't take that team seriously. It's like Wisconsin getting, I don't know, 17, whatever, and yep. you just know they're not really legitimate. Ole Miss in the top 25, not legitimate. Mississippi State, not legitimate. LSU, man, I got some questions. You can't let KJ Jefferson and Arkansas come into your house and do that to you. Like that game, they could have lost that game. They could have. You you cannot let that happen at night in Death Valley. That that's a game an LSU team like that should win by thirty. I, I got some questions about this SEC, and we'll see. I might have egg on my face going against SEC bias this year, but that conference. If you watch those games and then you look at what they've done non-conference. It's not just Texas beating Bama. It's Florida going to Utah and getting crushed by a backup quarterback. Two backup quarterbacks. It, it, like The non-conference play just has not been good. And Georgia keeps lining up sisters of the poor. Let's yeah. not play anybody. You're going to get a conference title. Georgia's going to win. Dude, Georgia might be a team goes into a playoff and has to face up against a Michigan or a Penn State or an Oregon if they end, or a ready. Washington, and they get kind of surprised. Yeah. I, I'm with you. We'll we'll get to our top tens in a, in a little bit here, but like we're at the point now where all the preseason, like every thought that you had about a team preseason, has to be thrown out the window when you're crafting your rankings. Agree. Like we are in, we're entering week five now. Every preconceived notion that you had about the top ten and about the top teams has to be thrown out. You have to be working off of resume at this point. You have to. And, and and Georgia has done nothing. There are 63 voters for the AP poll. You cannot tell me Georgia should be getting 55 of those 63 first place votes. Here's what Georgia's done so far this year. You beat UT Martin in Athens, 48 to 7. Great. You beat Ball State in Athens, 45-3, to one of the worst MAC teams you can play. UT Martin, I don't even know what conference they play in. Georgia, you beat South Carolina 24-14 to in a game that you could have lost. Losing at half. If Spencer Rattler had any ability in the second half. Now, you do get credit. You shut that offense down, mm-hmm. and you controlled the second half as well as anybody has. It never felt truly in doubt. But you were losing 14-3 to at halftime. Like, that has to be considered. You struggled in Athens against a South Carolina team that has not looked very good. And then you let UAB come to town and put up three touchdowns. It's it just, how are we at a point where I look at the AP poll and I've got 55 first place votes on Georgia? It makes no, and I, again, they have lost first place votes over the, a period of time here, but they're not, 
the number one team in the country. It goes to my longstanding belief, a lot of these voters just aren't watching all the games. I just don't think you can be watching all the games and come away with 55 first-place votes for Georgia. And the only way that you can do it is if you write reputation on your ballot. Well, here's the and problem. if you're doing that, you're lazy. Here's the problem. There's 63 writers that, that do this ballot, right? 63 college football people that do this ballot. You're picking guys out of, like, East Lansing and Norman, Oklahoma. Like, they're focused on their beats yeah. and then just so happen to get a ballot at the end. That That's why... Uh, I wish we had the playoff rankings all year long, or at least like after week after week four, once conference play really starts to become a thing. Like I don't get why we have to wait so long for these playoff rankings. I think these teams deserve to know early on what they need to do. Yep. The other thing with this top ten, and we'll get to what I like. I have a feeling of where I think it should be. Michigan at two is also a bit too high for me right now. They have not looked particularly great. Now, they had their best showing of the season against Rutgers in Ann Arbor. And now you but go But even that, like, you get punched in the mouth first. Right. You go down 7 nothing off an explosive. You can't cover a slant. You let the guy get free, 60-yard touchdown. And then you got go back to the bowling green. Like, I can't get it out of my head. J.J. McCarthy, three picks against the worst team in the MAC. That bowling green team got blanked by Ohio. On Saturday, like that, you can't throw three picks against that team. And turnovers have been the plague of his career, and it doesn't seem like it's getting particularly better. I just Michigan to me has not been outstanding, and there are teams on the board. You mentioned throw out the preseason stuff. Let's get to the resume. We are through four weeks of this season. Texas has, for my money, the best win of anyone in America. I would be perfectly fine if Texas were one this morning. I would be perfectly fine if Washington were two because if you watch the games with your eyeballs, holy fucking shit, mm-hmm. are they good? Like, I like would be- they're winning games big, and quite frankly, like if there was some rule that you had to play your starters all 60 minutes, Washington would be putting up 70 points every fucking week. They went to East Lansing and won that game 41-7, to and they should have won that game like 100 to nothing. They just stopped caring Mm -hmm. like they could have scored every time they touched the ball if they had wanted to against Cal same deal they could have scored every single time they touched the ball if they wanted to but they stopped at 59 like you're stopping at 50 fucking nine that team's insane that's the best offense in America for I don't care about your analytics that are going to spit out Oklahoma or whoever else. Well, so SP plus, I, I gave you the the Bill Connolly uh, note from last week. He said that if you throw out all of the preseason data on S and P plus and just basically went off of resume through the first four weeks, Washington or I guess three weeks plus week zero, Washington was the number one team in S and P plus. It's not surprising. And, and me. this week, I'm sure that would still hold true. Yeah, like I just. The resume thing for Georgia and Michigan, I get it, and ultimately they will control their own destinies because they will have the chance to go undefeated. Michigan in particular will play Ohio State, will play Penn State, will play a Big Ten title game. Georgia probably sleepwalks through the East. Maybe Florida's a little better than we thought, but you get to an SEC title where you will play somebody seemingly legitimate out of the West. Both teams control their own fate as far as getting into the playoff. I just think in terms of the way we view these teams – and rank these teams, neither of them have done anything 
to deserve being ranked ahead of Texas, to be ranked ahead of Penn State, to be ranked ahead of Ohio State, to be ranked ahead of Florida State. There are just teams that have done more and been more impressive. Washington in particular. Again, the Washington deal, I swear to you, Tyler, it's about the brand because even I just forgot about them. And here I was a minute ago touting how incredible they are. Mm -hmm. If you took Washington and you simply rebranded the team as Oregon and everything from this season is the same, they're number two in America. I think, yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Like, like, it sucks. And and the weirdest part about it is they've had recent success, too. Yeah. They won the Pac-12. They went to the college football playoff. They've been to a playoff. But then you get the people who will go, well, we can't take them seriously because they got fucking shot. Like, who, who cares? Who cares? This team this year is the most impressive team that I've watched this season. Mm -hmm. Them and Texas, the two most impressive teams I've watched. And I don't care about Texas getting sleepy with Wyoming or Rice because they finally showed the fuck up, went to Waco, and blasted Baylor Mm -hmm. and in a spot where they needed to do it. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm with it on Texas. The Tuscaloosa game, I think you hid stuff with Rice. I think you went to Bama and committed an assassination. You get a little sleepy off of that, playing Wyoming. But then you go to Waco and kill somebody in your conference, I'm in. Texas and Washington, to me, are the two most impressive teams in the country. So if you had to craft your top ten, how you doing it? I'd go Texas one, Washington two. Florida State three because I think they have the two best wins in the country. Mm-hmm. Texas has the best win. Florida State has the two best wins. Uh, I'd probably put Penn State four, and then I'd go the reputation. The five and six outside looking in, Georgia, Michigan. You get in the graphic. Reese Davis throws yep. the graphic up, and you're just on the outside. And then at seven, I'd have Oregon. So Oregon, what, take your pick of the rest of the, the top ten. Oregon, Ohio State, USC, Utah. I would go, so I, I would still put Florida State first because part of the rationale why you had them as high as you did was the they've got best. the two best wins. Yeah. Like they've done it multiple times and neither game's been at home. So give me that. Um, and, and then your one close game, even though it was BC, but it's still a conference game. It's a team that you play Every single year, that scouts for you every single year. I've got Florida State one, followed by Texas at two, Washington at three, Ohio State at four, Georgia five, Penn State six, Michigan seven, USC eight, Oregon nine, and then I'd probably go with like Utah at 10. Yeah, I think it's fair. I just, I'm over this idea that we have to be married to the reputation of Georgia and Michigan. They've got to show us something at some point. I don't understand the Michigan part. Like, I get that you've been to a couple playoffs now, but you've gotten flattened and have been largely uncompetitive. Yeah, the thing with Michigan that really confuses me regarding their rep is I think a lot of it's built off Jim Harbaugh. I think a lot of it, whether we like it or not, is built off the fact that they're like, I don't know if they're still one, but I think they are either one or two in terms of brand value in college athletics. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of it is built off of that. And then... The problem is what you just brought up. You go to the playoff two years ago, you play Georgia, and you get fucking murdered. Like, why are you any different than Oklahoma? Agree. And, again, the J.J. McCarthy Heisman pump. Like, I sent you a tweet before we got on the air. Oh, J.J. McCarthy's a guy I'd feel comfy taking in the first round. Fucking what? Why? What has he shown in evidence 
Everything I hear about this kid, well, Harbaugh, the quarterback whisperer. Okay, can Harbaugh get him to stop turning the fucking ball over? And Fumbles aren't a quarterback whisperer thing. And don't give me, well, his head coach wasn't on the sideline. His head coach was at every single practice and doing game plan installs. It was a self-imposed suspension. The only thing he missed was the 60 minutes of game time on Saturdays. He was a part of that team every other step of the way. Do not tell me that Jim Harbaugh's absence, when it wasn't even an absence, was what was causing J.J. McCarthy to play poorly in the first two games. All we've ever heard about this kid, freak athlete, he can run, big arm. Play fucking football. The deep ball sucks. Last year, he converted something like 33% of his passes deeper than 20 yards. He threw three interceptions against the worst team in the MAC. What is it? Can we ever just have a conversation about the Michigan quarterback and what he actually is? He's not that good. He's a game manager. When I start reading tweets, I'm not comfortable taking Michael Penix ahead of J.J. McCarthy. What the fuck are you talking about, respectfully? What the fuck are you talking about? I wouldn't take Quinn Ewers over uh, J.J. McCarthy. Oh, really? I didn't see J.J. McCarthy walk into Tuscaloosa and bury Alabama. Like, it's It's nuts. Georgia, you won back-to-back rings. I can get behind the reputation. You've earned a little benefit of the doubt. Michigan has earned none of it, but they receive all of it, and it bothers me. And yes, I hate them. I will cop to my bias on this. They are my least favorite team in any and all sports. Fuck them into eternity. But the unearned reputation pisses me off to no end. It's astonishing the level of fluff they get. And when you lost to TCU and you've got J.J. McCarthy fumbling on fourth and an iPhone on the goal line and you've got J.J. McCarthy throwing two pick sixes and then all offseason I've got to hear about this kid as a Heisman favorite. Fuck off. It's I'm with you. Like He has done nothing to deserve the level of praise that he gets. And it's amazing how it just all of a sudden has flipped to an NFL conversation with him. Why don't we get to an elite college quarterback before we agree make the 100%. jump to the NFL draft here? I could not agree more. It is astonishing. All right, any last thoughts from week four before we get out of here? Uh, I'm just thinking about some of the look-ahead stuff. I'll, I'll tell you this. A team that has really surprised me, uh, that I did not expect to even sniff the top 25, we talked about it in our Pac-12 preview, I thought this team was going to be terrible. Washington State is going to bring up legitimate Cam Ward. Cam Ward, you probably haven't heard of him because he played last year at Incarnate Word, which if you paid attention at all last year, Incarnate Word and FCS school went into Nevada and won a very embarrassing game for Nevada. Uh, transfers to Washington State, and this kid is just a bomber. All he wants to do is throw the football. The first half, I think it was 19-20 for 200-some yards, three touchdowns. You want to season stats here? He's thrown for almost 1,400 yards on about 75% completions, 13 to nothing touchdown to interception. What, Going up against a good Oregon State defense this week, too. What they've done up in Wazoo is awesome. It's one of the – I think everybody's got their, like, pet schools. Like, I've got – uh, App State is like my FCS pet school, or my FCS, my group of five pet mm-hmm. school. I just like Boone. I like the shirt. I like the logo. I like the, I like their branding. I like Appalachian State. Washington State is my West Coast pet team. Pullman is a really cool environment. The Palouse is an awesome place. When they're good, those people show the fuck out. I like Wazoo, and I'm really happy to see them be what I would consider legitimate. You knocked out Wisconsin at a time we thought that was a bad loss for Wisconsin. Might not be. 
and then you go, you, you let Oregon State into your house and you punch them in the mouth. I feel like Wazoo's at a point where we can consider them legitimate. Well, not just that. They may have, I haven't looked at all of the Pac 12 schedules. They may have the easiest Pac 12 schedule. Yeah. Because you look the rest of the way. You got at UCLA, home against Arizona. Then you go on the road to Oregon. Going to be a tough game there. At Arizona State, home against Stanford, at Cal, home against Colorado, and then you wrap it up on the road against Washington. Yeah, it's it's a pretty good schedule there. Uh, One last thought. Still in the Pac-12. God, what a conference. (laughs) What a swan song for this conference. The best quarterback conference in football. Probably just straight up the best conference in, in college football right now. Uh, Utah, welcome. Welcome to the end of your gauntlet pain, and you come out of it undefeated. They're going to get Cam Rising back. Big win at home over UCLA. Utah's a really interesting team to watch the rest of the way. Uh, This Pac-12 race is going to be fascinating, and my biggest hope is that they don't cannibalize themselves playing each other and see themselves on the outside looking into the playoff because I do think we might have a national champion in that conference. In the Pac-12, I can really only see, I think, two teams actually winning it. Washington, Oregon. Which I, is probably more than you can see in most conferences. So, Depending on what Utah's offense looks like with Cam Rising, I would be willing to have a conversation about them winning a playoff game and potentially playing for a national title because their defense is fantastic. So I got to see what the offense looks like. But Utah is very interesting to me. They got through the tough part. They're going to get their quarterback back. Oregon and Washington are the two teams I think really could win a title out of that conference. My last thought here is like 10 through 15 in the rankings. You know what? I'll stretch it to 20. I'll stretch it 10 to 20. Are about as fun as you could ask for. Like usually 10 through 20 when you look at AP rankings are just like, oh, these are the teams that would have no chance if they actually got put into a playoff game. But you look at some of these teams, like, they could make a little... I'm not saying they'd go to a championship, but they could be at least fun. They could make a competitive playoff game as opposed to the 1-4 slaughter that we get every year. And quite frankly, we usually get a 2-3 slaughter too as well. Like, Utah, great defense. Notre Dame, fantastic defense. Bama, eh. LSU could make a good playoff game. Oklahoma... I know they had a little bit of a hiccup against uh, Cincy this week, but they still uh, pushed on a cover. Right, you pushed as two touchdown road favorites. Yeah, like Oklahoma's a lot of fun to watch this year. Um, And you've got a defensive-minded head coach, too, on your side as well now. North Carolina, they put up points. Yeah. and They don't play a lot of defense, but they put up points. Um, And they have gone out, and even though they've had some of these weird lines, they've been covering in a lot of these games, too, Carolina. Uh, Washington State, we just hit on. Duke, sneaky, really good. Yeah, Riley Leonard's Riley a player, Leonard, man. Like, everyone is... Miami's you know, fun. Everyone's trying to craft, like, okay, who is the third or fourth quarterback in this class? It might be Riley Leonard. When you look at the physical tools, like, a lot of these guys that are on the fringe there aren't these physical specimen. They, they're they 6'1", 6'2", but they have a little more talent. Riley Leonard has the things that you can't coach, and I think if you just give him a little bit of coaching and he's gotten it from Mike Elko and he would continue to get it at the NFL level for wherever he ends up, he could end up being the, the second or third best quarterback in this class. He could make himself a first-round pick. If he doesn't make himself a first-round pick, he's going back to school. But 
he could make himself a first-round pick. I think you look at the bottom two, Kansas sneaking into the top 25. They've got a big game against Texas this week. That's going to be a lot of fun. You get Lance Leipold and that really fun Kansas offense going up against Texas. Fresno State pops onto the top 25. You've got Mizzou up there. Mizzou's kind of been a surprise team early. Like This has been a really, really fun season so far, even outside of the top teams. I think this it feels like there's a level of parity that hasn't necessarily been present in college football in the past. Oh, oh and by the way, um, we're not going to be able to preview this game, but we can recap it on the show on Saturday. Uh, Utah and Oregon State is your Friday nighter this week. That's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. We're getting close to action season. Yeah. All right. That is going to do it for us here on the Chicago's College Tailgate Recap Podcast. We are with you every single Monday. Don't forget, we are also on your airwaves as well, 10 to 11 a.m. this week. And then the week after that, Shay, we're stretching this puppy out. We are going to be on 9 About to time. 11 a.m. every single Saturday with you. So looking forward to all of that. Again, thank you to our presenting uh, sponsor, Twin Peaks, for bringing this show to you. We appreciate all their support, and we will talk to you on Saturday.